You're listening to episode number 250. I feel like that's a milestone that deserves celebration. But today we're talking about metabolic eating and what that looks like. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, this is the place where I believe you were made for living well, hence the name of the podcast. Like, I really believe health is inside of you. You don't need a better diet, but you just need to learn how to live that out. And today on the show and inside this series, that's what we're talking about. How do we actually live out of health inside of us? That's why I put together this series on eight life-changing health practices. These aren't just a bunch of external things that you do hoping for results, but these actually have a lot of power to support the internal workings of your body, which we know supporting the internal body always produces the outcome you want. It's not a war that we have to win, but it's actually just working to support the right environment for your body to thrive. And today on the show, we're going to talk about that with metabolic eating. Now, I don't have a lot of guest experts come on talking specifically about eating, so this is going to be fun and new, and I just love the work that she's doing. Her name is Fallon. She is a mom to three boys, wife to her college sweetheart, and a kitchen creative turned business owner out of Dallas, Texas. She launched Fallon's Table to help bridge the gap between nutrition, easy kitchen prep, and delicious food. She offers calorie-specific meal plans and recipes on her website and loves to walk alongside and encourage women in their pursuit of making peace with their bodies. She has a long history of restricted dieting and food sensitivities and watched her own health journey go from being limited to seven foods to finding vibrancy and food freedom. Now, the reason that I'm bringing her on is because she has a very unique approach to eating that is not limited to quote-unquote diet foods, but really through her own story, and that's what I want us to learn from, is her own story of opening up to realize that food is not the enemy, but a lot of foods that we've demonized are actually really valuable for our bodies. Really, it just goes to show that we must listen to our bodies more than anything else. So we're going to be diving into her story, metabolic eating, what this looks like, and what things that we can learn by incorporating more foods, even going through periods of overfeeding to really nutrify our system. Now, if you want to learn more about metabolic eating and what that looks like, head on over to thelivingwell.com. I'm sharing my thoughts over there from this podcast. I'm putting it together in a realistic way that you can try it out, take it for a spin and see how your body responds. That's the only way you'll know if it's working for you. So again, you can find more about that at thelivingwell.com. Also, if you want to check out Fallon, you can find her at fallonstable.com and her Instagram profile is Fallon Danae. Again, all that will be linked up in the show notes. And while you're here, don't forget to rate and review the show. It literally takes a minute out of your day and it means the world to me. To leave a rating and review, head to thelivingwell.com backslash review. Leave that rating and review. They help other people who wouldn't otherwise hear about the show find it, dive in, and become part of this community of like-minded people who are here to support each other on the journey of living well. Okay, that's it for today's announcement. Let's get right to the show and welcome Fallon. Welcome to the show, Fallon. I'm excited to have you on and talk about a new subject. It's not going to be completely new, but I think the way that we uh, refer to it is going to be a little different, but I really love this subject about metabolic health. And so thanks for coming on and talking about that with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So I 
I usually refer to food and um, just the health of our body through a state of energy, this whole complete system, which I know that you love to look at the whole body as well, but you talk a lot about metabolic eating and metabolic meal plans. Can you just kind of explain what this is and how it's different maybe from other forms of eating that we've heard about? Yes, I'd love to. Yeah. So metabolic eating at its core prioritizes the most usable nutrients and the usability aspect is really important because our bodies really are better at absorbing and assimilating nutrients from things like animal foods, for example, versus Mm -hmm. plant foods. So metabolic eating at its core is really about nutrient density and how we can honor our cellular function by providing the right energy. So yes, it is a whole foods approach, but we also have to look at how these foods are working within our bodies. So I mentioned the animal protein bit, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's often a complete protein, which means it provides all of the essential amino acids that our bodies need. Whereas plant proteins are not complete proteins. That doesn't mean we can't eat them, but it's not helpful to have them as our primary protein source. And so then we also look at things like our vitamin and mineral content, you know, so things like vitamin B12, zinc, vitamin D, um, all of the other fat soluble vitamins are found almost exclusively in animal foods or are just absorbed much better from animal foods than uh, plant foods. So while pro-metabolic eating is animal-based in a large sense, it also doesn't mean that it's exclusive to animal foods, like something that carnivore or keto would be. Um, You know, quality carbohydrates are a huge and necessary part of providing energy, blood sugar balance, nutrients, Um, So I think what sets metabolic eating apart is that it's not this list of rules or even a list of yes and no foods. It's about evaluating what your body will utilize the best. And it honors things like the locality of your food, what's in season, what are you craving while still honoring our biological nutrition needs. Um, So if we think about like a child or even an adult, what do they usually crave? They, they crave fruit, they crave milk, they want cheese, you know, protein, starches like potatoes, Uh, And there's a reason that our bodies gravitate toward all of these foods that we sort of naturally want to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love the way or the style of eating. For me, it's just so much similar to what our body is looking for. And Mm -hmm. also it puts the emphasis on how are you digesting that food? How is your body responding? And I feel like so many other diets out there are so, and you know, where we get all this food information from is just strictly this external approach to health without really recognizing, hold on, my body, even though someone told me it's healthy, that doesn't mean it's reacting well inside my system. And I think the metabolic eating though, is it's, it's different in the fact that a lot of these foods that people said for a while were bad are mm-hmm. actually necessary inside of our system. How have you seen in, in the clients that you work with, like how have you seen this transition go through, go for them and the changes that they've seen in their own body? Mm-hmm. So one of my big uh, goals in spreading this message to women is, is one to emphasize that most women, especially are not eating enough. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is another core proponent of metabolic eating is that we have to evaluate what kind of energy, like you said, are we giving our bodies? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's honestly amazing you know, even set aside the nutrient and mineral conversation for a second, when we eat enough real whole foods, it's honestly crazy the kind of things that your body can do and the kind of change that we can see. Um, So, you know, if we look at a woman who is uh, under eating, you know, she might be experiencing things like a cycle loss or a regular cycle, you know, hair loss, low energy, low mood, all of these things require energy that our body needs from nutrient dense foods. 
And so when you provide your body with usable nutrients, you know, one thing that I say quite frequently on my Instagram is that I spent probably five or six years just convinced that something was really just wrong with me. You know, I was always a hypochondriac. I was always convinced we were going to find some, you know, crazy, uh, specialized issue. And I saw all these specialists. And the thing is, I didn't need to see all these specialists. I needed to give my body nutrients and that's Mm -hmm. what it was asking for. Mm -hmm. And so when you start giving your body minerals and vitamins and, um, you know, calories that are nutrient dense and your body can actually assimilate, absorb, and use those, you can honestly see, I mean, just drastic health improvements from things like autoimmune disease, um, chronic fatigue. I mean, I've just seen so many women regulate hormones, um, thyroid. I mean, I personally came off my thyroid medication for Hashimoto's after five years of taking it. Um, and so, you know, once you give your body the fuel that it needs, it really can work in just a phenomenal way. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible what we can do, what our body can do and the environment that it needs, right? Like, mm-hmm. but we have to supply that environment and we've been made to believe that somehow calories are bad and that eating less is going to create the results that we want. But as we talk about calories and as you mentioned, like eating more sometimes for a lot of us is the best thing that we can do. That doesn't mm-hmm. always equate to all of a sudden you're going to gain massive weight. Cause that's not how mm-hmm. our body works. Can you kind of break down like the metabolism of that and how our body actually responds when we eat more, not the fear of it? You, yeah, you absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think you, there there is some sort of trepidation required when approaching this because the bottom line is, you know, if you're, if you're someone who, um, like I was, I was eating probably 12 to 1500 calories for honestly my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go from 1500 calories to let's say that your actual needs were 2200 calories. If we did that overnight, that's going to be a huge shock to our body. And there may yeah. be some weight gain that results from that. But something that I uh, include in, you know, the meal plans that I provide, and I know a lot of other um, content creators are doing a great job of this, but emphasizing that, hey, you have to go slow um, and it's best to go slow. So, you know, if you're eating 1500 calories regularly, you might do best off of increasing your calories by 50 to hundred per week and sort of mm-hmm. taking it slow. The hard thing is so many of us are so ready for that nutrition that it can be difficult to scale back. Um, and maybe there is some weight gain that happens, but to be honest, that may not be the worst thing. So, you know, I, for example, started out at, oh, just a ridiculous body fat percentage. I mean, probably 10% or less. Mm. Um, and so it was necessary and healthy for me to put on some weight. And that has really contributed to just the vibrancy and thriving, Mm -hmm. uh, freedom that I have in my health now. Mm -hmm. So I think there are certainly ways that you can approach it that can minimize that weight gain. Um, some of us need to gain a little bit of weight while we sort of rev up our metabolism because the, um, you know, the metabolism, your body is, is smart. Mm -hmm. It's going to downregulate if you have been not giving it the nutrients it needs. So if you've been surviving off 1500 calories for five years, your body and metabolism is going to adjust down to accommodate those needs. So when we jump from 1500 to 2000 calories overnight, our metabolisms are not quite ready for that. And so I think the slow and steady approach is really, really crucial. If you want to mitigate things like excessive weight gain, you know, some Mm -hmm. weight gain maybe is helpful for certain individuals, but the excessive weight gain, um, the blood sugar swings, you know, all of those things can certainly play a part if you're not approaching it in kind of a calculated and and wise manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like, again, recognizing your body, paying attention Mm -hmm. to it, you know, knowing what it needs. 
But like you said, I, I feel like in society, we've been really big believers that somehow losing weight equates to health or mm-hmm. that a smaller size. And I feel like, you know, your story and maybe sharing a little bit more about that of like, you know, I was at that quote unquote ideal size for what, mm-hmm. you know, the health industry has promoted, but that brings with it so many negative connotations. How have you wrapped your mind around going from that to getting to the fact that, yeah, maybe gaining some weight was what was healthy for me, which is such a backward mindset shift for so many people. What was that journey like? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still a daily, I think, battle to reframe the way that I see health and weight. And I think that it was important for me to experience it for myself to really see that, okay, you know, gaining for me, probably 25 pounds was what led to me coming off my thyroid medication. It's what Mm helped me balance my hormones, regulate my moods, um, stop having a freezing cold body all the time, you know, stop having irregular cycles. And once I saw all of that progress that I made, I mean, it was just, it's a no brainer that I would not want to go back to the size that I was my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's been a really crucial part of my journey that I did. I was someone who needed to gain that weight because now I can, I can step back and look at, at that scenario and teach women that, you know, if you have been under eating and undernourishing, sometimes your body just needs more. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not forever. Sometimes you just find a new normal, but you know, the female body standards that we live by in the U S first of all, are constantly changing. You know, you look at the past five decades even, and there's a different body type that's been idealized throughout every single decade. You know, we're constantly mm-hmm. shifting our standards of beauty and you know, I think especially as people who grew up in kind of the 90s, 2000s era, we were taught so often that health and weight were just connected and that, you know, you had to be thin to be healthy. But the truth is, you know, women really thrive on a body fat percentage of probably 22% to maybe 30% or so, which yeah. I know if, you know, most people don't really know what that looks like functionally, but, you know, if you picture like your um, I don't know, your standard like movie star, they're mm-hmm. probably sitting at 10 to 15% body fat, mm-hmm. maybe less than that. You know, your standard models and all of these, you know, six skinny women that we sort of idealize on TV, uh, their body fat percentage is probably, you know, 10%, mm-hmm. maybe 15. Um, and so when we put that into perspective compared to that women really do thrive off of maybe 22% to 30%, that's a huge difference. And, yeah. and that's when we start to actually picture you know, a woman who, um, maybe has some curves and maybe has a little bit of what society would call extra on her body. And that's where the female, um, you know, hormonal system and, um, you know, our, all of our, all of our bodies capacities just kind of thrive in that range. And that can be a shock for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a daily reminder that, you know, I don't have to adhere to current cultural standards. I can just pursue health. Yeah. Yeah. And I think talking about some of those symptoms, I mean, if you go through a list of, of some of the symptoms that we commonly experience and what this pro metabolic way of eating in this lifestyle can really start to shift because you're starting to see people who are struggling with autoimmune diseases and, um, hormonal swings and really, and we're going to talk about what this lifestyle really looks like in a minute, but what are the, some of the things that we can really see our body change through or with this type of lifestyle? Yeah. So the great thing is that there are some um, objective markers that we can look at. There are some more subjective markers we can look at. So um, I know I already kind of mentioned a few, but you know, a big one being your cycle health, you know, are your cycles 
coming and going without a lot of, um, you know, pain or, um, frustration? Are you spending days in bed? Is your, is your bleeding irregular? You know, all of those things are not, um, normal or necessary. Yeah. Um, they become more normal Mm -hmm. now, but you know, the female cycle is really a, a great sign of your health. You know, it's often called the fifth vital sign. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that was coined by the fertility Friday account. Lisa is something is her last name, but it really truly is, you know, your cycle can tell you so much about your overall health. And so we see a lot of women who regulate their cycle. They have pain-free cycles that just come and go normally. They can track ovulation and see that they are, um, you know, their hormones are in balance just because of prioritizing these food principles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can see women who, you know, it's kind of a, a trend thing right now to just be freezing all the time. You know, women are yeah, just always complaining right. about my feet are cold and I'm so cold. And it's just kind of like, it's almost like a personality trait at this point. You know, I was convinced for years, like, oh, I'm just the girl that's cold. And that's a sign that your metabolism has downregulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see a lot of women, myself included, you know, who had freezing cold hands and feet and their body temperature was, um, you know, 96, 97%. And it's jumped into that range of 98.5 plus, which is, you know, what we want to look for just from giving their body the energy that it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, your digestion is a huge one. You know, I, I know so many women who they were just pounding, you know, salads and nut milks and all of these things that, you know, can really wreak havoc on your digestion if it's already compromised already. And that's all they're eating. Cause you know, healthy skinny culture has told them like, you need to eat these things at every meal. Um, you know, digestion, we, we want to be having like a comfortable bowel movement one to three times a day. Mm-hmm. Most women don't know that. First of all, they don't know what their digestion is supposed to look like because nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, prioritizing these foods that are a little bit easier to break down can just work wonders for the digestive system and, you know, improve your gut health, um, you know, mood energy. I mean, gosh, I feel like I could spend 30 minutes even just talking about, you know, really the improvements that you can see from just giving your body the fuel that it needs. Um, and I do have a post on this in my Instagram feed somewhere about, you know, your metabolic markers and, you know, what are they supposed to look like? What are some signs that they are off? Um, but yeah, all of, I mean, all your hair health, your, your nail health. I mean, so many things can just greatly improve whenever you switch to these really just healing nutritious foods. Yeah. I mean, I think all of those things that we can think of as like annoying symptoms or that are normalized, Mm. that's more of like that communication channel with your system. Now, I know we don't have time to touch on this a lot, but body temperature you've mentioned is a really big indicator. And Mm -hmm. this is just like a side story, but you know, at the start of COVID, when everyone was taking temperatures, there was this list, Mm -hmm. um, at my, my kid's pediatrician's office and we were in for regular checks and, and she had the list laid out of all these people and their, their temperatures. And it was wild to see the average was low 20 or low 97. There was someone in there that was like 96.1. And you know, like that on there is considered healthy or normal. And I Mm -hmm. want to be like, but that is so bad for our system. And Mm -hmm. that's a sign of in-health. Can you just briefly touch on what does body temperature mean? Or like, what does that look like? How can we use that? And like, when people track this, how do you have them track that? Yeah. So the, to start with the overall number that we're kind of looking for, um, it, women can have a bit different numbers in, in different parts of their cycle. So in the first half of our cycle, you know, we're looking for, um, maybe high 97, you know, 98 plus, um, after you've ovulated the body temperature will often raise by 
maybe half to a full degree. But as a general rule of thumb, you you want your waking temperature to be, you know, at least in that 98 range and then gradually raise throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so the great thing about uh, food and body temperature is that it actually can be an incredible indicator of how your body is processing certain foods. Um, I, I've said on my Instagram before, you know, my, my thermometer is my favorite food sensitivity test Yeah, because if you eat a meal and you take your temperature, maybe 30 minutes to an hour afterward, and your temperature has lowered, that means that your meal was not uh, it wasn't working for you. So either, you know, your macronutrients were off balance. Maybe you didn't have enough carbs. Maybe, you know, it wasn't enough protein, too much fat. Um, or maybe your body's not responding well to a particular food that you just mm-hmm. had. So the goal is for the temperature to raise throughout the day until about mid afternoon, and then gradually go back down as you approach sleep, you know, because our body temperature does drop a little bit while we're resting. Um, but that can be a huge sign of where your overall thyroid health is your overall metabolic health is. Um, because we need that, that heat and energy in the body. And when it, when the temperature does drop like that chronically, that is a sign that our body has downregulated our metabolism and is not producing enough heat and energy like it should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a great indicator outside of the scale, right? Because the scale comes with so many emotional baggage, but to really see a change in how your body is responding to the things that you're eating. Now, when you're having people check, you're just doing it in the morning or you're having them check numerous times throughout the day. Yeah, I think it's it's up to the individual. I mean, when I started my journey, I feel like I always had a thermometer in my mouth just because I had no gauge of what my standard was. Yeah. So I think in the beginning, it can be very helpful to check in the morning, check after your meals. Um, but once you kind of get a handle on how your body responds to certain things, I mean, you can you can often feel it even. I mean, I'll eat a meal sometimes and I can feel that my feet are cold afterward. I didn't need my thermometer for that. You know, I just intuitively know Mm -hmm. that my body dropped in temperature a little bit. So I think at the beginning, yeah, it can be really helpful to chart it quite regularly, but I understand that it does, it does get old, you know, quickly to have a thermometer in your mouth all the time. So it can be a great indicator, um, just as a touch base, you know, I think it's, it's helpful to check every few months, or if you feel something is off, it can be great to evaluate where your temps are at. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's just a great tool. Can you explain like, okay, so when we eat something and it doesn't settle well, or it's not being digested well, why does our body temperature, like, why is that an indicator things are not going well? Yeah. So I think, I mean, like I said, it can be because of the macronutrient balance alone. It may not even be that, you know, you had a reaction per se to whatever it is that you were eating, but sometimes it really, it boils down to just the, um, like the fat to protein ratio. So kind of a good ratio to aim for is, is a one to two or one to three protein to carbohydrate ratio. Obviously that's going to look a little bit different for every person, but a lot of the time, you know, your temperature can, can drop just because you did not have enough, um, carbohydrates to accommodate the protein that you're eating or, or vice versa. You know, somehow the macros were out of balance a little bit. Um, And, you know, there can be a a few different reasons, you know, stress hormones can play a part into this. It's really, it's kind of an in-depth conversation. And I know that, um, their handle on Instagram is real food gangsters, Josh and Jeannie Rubin. Mm -hmm. They're fantastic. I know they have a lot of great posts on temperatures and pulses and how that relates to, you know, exercise and stress, um, you know, food and, and those balances. So that can be a great place to deep dive, but it's, it's just a really great tool. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to get into the food because this Mm. is where things get a little bit differently. And like you've already mentioned, you know, like eating salads and nut milks and all these big crazes that, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we jump so heavily into 
let's just break down some of this. Like first let's start with what is a metabolic meal plan or lifestyle really look like? And then we'll start to hash out. Okay. But what about some of these other things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, at first I want to say, I never want to definitively give guidelines for, you know, a lifestyle or, mm-hmm. or diet style. I think there are principles that um, certainly are shared across the pro metabolic approach. So I think that uh, in terms of the lifestyle, I think honoring our natural roots and our rhythms as much as possible is really important. So I, I don't ever want to say that, you know, it's one specific outline, but I think the thread running through it is that we are prioritizing nutrients. We are prioritizing, you know, time in nature, um, sunlight, sustainable movement. You know, we're honoring the rhythms of the sun in terms of, you know, going to bed when the sun has set, you know, we're not having all of these artificial light exposures after the sun is down, you know, we're Mm -hmm. honoring the seasons by eating locally and we're resting more in winter and, you know, maybe, um, adventuring and working a little bit more in the warmer months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, you know, the food piece can't be ignored. I, I think that it's, it's about prioritizing those nutrients that your body is going to utilize the absolute best. So I think, you know, when you're looking at the lifestyle, people can get off on different tangents of, you know, red light or grounding, or, I mean, there's all of these things that really are great pieces to add into the puzzle, but I think at the core, it's about, you know, lowering that stress load, lowering the toxin load and just supporting your body in the best way that you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is it, do, would you consider it similar to like the Ayurvedic work? I'm not super familiar with that. Yeah. At it's least very, the core yeah. principles. Yeah. It's very seasonal based, um, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, following the seasons, getting in the earth, you know, using, utilizing that. But I think even when it comes back to like, even talking about salads, right? Like we're in winter here. So like one of the tasks our body has to do is keep ourselves warm and eating a lot of really cold foods, which a lot of quote unquote health foods are really Mm -hmm. cold. That that's extra work. That's hard on the digestive Mm -hmm. track, which changes what our body does with that. I think those are some of the things to remember. And is that what you're um, referring to? And I, and I totally agree with you. Like, there's not like, it's not to say like, Oh, all nut milk is bad. You know, like all nuts and seeds are bad or salads are bad, but it's like the right time, the right place. Can you give us some like indicators of like in your own life, what are some things that you've learned that have been beneficial to you that were maybe outside of what society was telling us is the healthiest thing? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the food rules honestly would be the biggest thing. Um, so I think it, you know, it's pretty standard for, um, sort of our current health culture to dive into a lot of plant-based eating is kind of the big trend right now. And obviously plants, you know, have their place. They really do. They've Mm -hmm. got a lot of really great nutrients. Um, especially fruit is so mineral rich. Um, but you know, on the flip side of that fruit is often something that gets demonized too. So oh, yeah, I think, you know, sure. I think yeah. this whole movement, yeah, this whole movement right now of just, I mean, honestly, if I were to make a running list of the foods that were the most nutrient dense in terms of just objective data. Mm-hmm. So things like, um, organ meats, muscle meats, um, you know, bone broth, animal products, fruit, those are all, you know, eggs, uh, butter. <laughs> those are the things that right now, a lot of our health climate is pointing at and saying, no, no, these are the bad foods. And so it's honestly, I think pursuing true nutrient dense eating is completely flipping the script in terms of what you deem to be healthy. So, you know, going back to maybe like the raw vegetables and nuts and seeds conversation, um, they're real whole foods. So they're wonderful. We never want to demonize, you know, anything that is, is a true unprocessed food, but we have to keep in mind, you know, what our what our ancestors, for example, have been eating 
um, a cup of almond butter at one time. Absolutely not. (laughs) They would have been eating a handful of almonds that were fresh. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, would they have been making baked goods with, you know, two cups of almond flour? No. And so, you know, I think that we have to make that shift to understand nuts are not bad. Seeds are not bad. Raw leafy greens are not bad, but historically would they have been a primary source of nutrition? No, you know, women weren't surviving off of a salad at every meal and then going to, you know, work in, uh, the field. And, you know, I mean, you just think about the energy needs that our body has. And while, you know, raw vegetables, for example, are really nutrient dense, you know, we can utilize the nutrients, um, obviously less so than, than animal products, but we can still utilize them to an extent they don't provide energy in terms of calorie. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're basically zero calorie. Most vegetables right. are. And so we just have to take that into context and understand that we do need things that are giving calories and nutrients and we have to pair those together. So I think kind of rebalancing what our, um, maybe our food pyramid looks like, you know, I think a lot of people are functioning off of, you know, whole grains and, uh, raw veggies, uh, are kind of the, the pillar, you know, that's yeah. what they're eating most of. And then maybe at the top is like our, you know, meats and our dairy and our fat soluble vitamins to things like butter and cream. And a lot of that kind of has to be switched around and we have to sort of evaluate, okay, what foods really are giving me the most nutrient density and what foods are foods someone, you know, on the internet just told me to eat that has like a, a fitness account, which, right. you know, it just, I, I get that I'm someone on the internet too, but I even, but when you look at it from a biological ancestral mm-hmm. perspective, we start to understand that there are current dietary trends that are just that they're trends. They have mm-hmm. not existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, we weren't cooking with canola oil right. um, until, you know, modern times we weren't eating almond butter until recently. So yeah. how can we put the framework around that to nourish our body in the best way and honor what foods would have been eaten in the biggest context, you know, hundreds of years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is such important information because I think sometimes we try to alter what we think we should eat based on today because we have access mm-hmm. to things that we would have never had before. And our body is just not designed in that same way. Like you, people wouldn't have milked almonds, right? Like, right. <laughs> how do you, like I don't know, or crush them up to make flour. Mm-hmm. But then you're going to have this whole host of people who are going to say, well, dairy causes inflammation. It's making me feel like, where's the line of reintroducing some of these things that maybe conceptually were bad, or is there a time when they are not great for our systems and that we should avoid them? You know, like, how are you starting to help people reintroduce or know, yes, that's good. Or no, your body's still going to react to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think one of the most important things to keep into, uh, or to take into account rather is that our food today is much different than it was hundreds of years ago. So, you know, we think about conventional farming methods and conventional cattle raising methods versus what we would have seen historically. Um, so, you know, the pasteurization of, of dairy products um, is removing a lot of those great nutrients versus, you know, raw milk is almost an, an entirely different species, you know, grass fed yeah. cattle, um, raw milk, that's much different than drinking milk that has been tampered with, you know, the cattle was raised on GMO feed. They were supplemented, you know, they were given antibiotics and, you know, whatever else was thrown into the mixture. And then on the back end, you know, we're pasteurizing, we're heating the snot out of it. And then they're adding synthetic vitamins. That's incredibly different. So in that sense, yeah, dairy is super inflammatory when you look at it from a conventional standpoint, but if you're finding, you know, organic raw pasture raised, um, dairy products that still have the, that's that nutrient density that we really want from dairy, 
that's a much different story. And so the same thing with, you know, all animal products. So, you know, some of the sort of um, big foods that are in the line of fire right now are like dairy, eggs, beef. Um, well, what were the farming methods for those? You know, how, how were those animals raised? That makes a huge difference in terms of, of the quality of those foods. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge piece. You know, a lot of people are really convinced they're lactose intolerant. What they're really intolerant to is conventional dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, because the thing is with raw milk, it still has that lactase enzyme in it. That's needed to balance out the lactose. Um, so when you drink conventional dairy, that's been pasteurized, you don't have the lactase enzyme in that anymore. So you're just consuming large amounts of lactose. It's no wonder we're intolerant to right. it. Our, our bodies were not meant to consume it in that form. Um, so I think that's a huge thing to take into account. And then, you know, for someone who's wanting to reintroduce dairy, which is something that I did as well after five, you know, six years of not having it, um, I did end up creating actually a dairy reintroduction meal plan to kind of help people with that. But the rule of thumb is slow and steady. You know, you mm -hmm. want to start with maybe a tablespoon at a time, you know, daily, and then it build up from there. Because again, that lactase enzyme, you know, your body is smart. If you haven't been consuming dairy for years and years, you don't really need to produce that lactase enzyme right. anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just going to stop. So it has to be slow mm -hmm. or you will have symptoms of lactose intolerance and it. You know, you may still think, oh, my body can't do dairy, but sometimes it just takes a little bit at a time and you can build up from there and have dairy with absolutely no problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys in Texas, cause you're in Texas, do you guys have access to raw milk? Oh yes, we do. I live seven minutes from a raw milk pickup with all the lovely, just local oh, meats and eggs. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's really such a gift. Yeah. I mean, it's technically still illegal in Iowa, which is funny because we live in like wow. central, but yeah. you can, um, like buy a, uh, a share of a cow and then you can like technically have milk. That's amazing. That's a great workaround. Um, there's not very many people doing it around here, but mm -hmm. I, we live on a little hobby farm and I'm like, I'm going to get my dairy cow one of these days. And we're Absolutely. just going to That'd and be amazing. Like, but I'm going to be the one milking it in the freezing cold. And I'm like, right. Good for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is, it's, I think sometimes we get so tunnel visioned into right or wrong, good or bad when we have to assess the entire quality <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just dairy is bad. It's maybe conventional dairy, but there's, you know, if we get it back to the raw form, that's completely different. Like you said, the mm -hmm. same with conventional meats and egg products and really even vegetables, right? Like we can yeah. go as far as to say like these good, those are going to change how your body's digesting them and mm -hmm. using them. What are some of those big like foods that you really tried? Like if you had to put food on a hierarchy of like, okay, these are the mm -hmm. things that I really try to find the highest quality because realistically, some of these things are expensive. Like mm -hmm. what, what battles do you fight and what ones are you like? Yeah, that's not worth it to me. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's such a good question because I know, you know, we, we want food to be sustainable and it's difficult mm -hmm. to get everything, you know, organic and grass fed and pasture raised and all, you know, all the things. So for me, um, milk is a big priority because mm -hmm. a lot of store brand milks do have additives in them. So I think dairy at minimum, kind of our rule is if it's not organic at bare minimum, then we don't mm -hmm. typically consume it, you know, maybe as a one-off, you know, it's not about perfection. It's about doing yeah. the best you can consistently. So dairy for me is one that, you know, I, I really raw grass fed is, is my top priority organic at bare minimum. Um, beef is actually one that is a little bit, you know, if you can find grass fed, that's amazing. Um, grain fed is not the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, cattle don't store quite as much, uh, polyunsaturated fats 
as something like uh, chickens or uh, pigs do. So things like pigs and chickens can be really important to get, you know, pasture raised. Um, in terms of produce, we try to really prioritize the clean 15. So the environmental working group every year will put out a list of the clean 15, which are the 15 produce items that have uh, the least amount of, um, you know, conventional toxins. Mm-hmm. So, you know, glyphosate. Um, and then the dirty dozen are the 12 things that, you know, you definitely want to be buying organic because they are heavily, heavily treated. Mm-hmm. So that's what we pr- prioritize in terms of produce and, and kind of a, a short, um, a shorter way to think of it is if it has a thick inedible skin, it's probably less likely to be super toxic if you do buy conventional, if it's a thin edible skin. So apples, berries, you know, you want to buy those organic. And I think that's a good way to prioritize it. Um, And the same thing with grains, if we're buying grains, um, things like, you know, rice, oats, those can be really high sources of arsenic if they're not Mm -hmm. organic. So that's, that's one thing that's super important to me is that we really don't consume a ton of grains that are not organic because of those heavy metals that can be, Mm -hmm. um, in them. So I think those are some of my top food priority priorities when it comes to, you know, prioritizing the best that we possibly can. And then you just, you know, you make do and you, you find what you can make work. Right. And I think the benefit of all of this too is like the more you do it in all these little ways, mm-hmm. naturally your body's going to become better at detoxifying and getting Absolutely. rid of, you know, like we're going to be better at processing. Mm-hmm. So it counteracts some of the other things, right? Like, cause there's always going to be times I think, you know, kids, people ask me all the time, well, how do you feed your kids? And I'm like, you know, we do what we do at home. And when they mm-hmm. go out, their bodies hopefully are healthy enough to handle whatever they I mean, exposed to. And yeah, that's, that's the beauty of doing thing. this, of getting your body healthy mm-hmm. is that you should become less reactive. Have right. you found that, you know, like that, that would be the goal is like, we shouldn't react to all these foods. We shouldn't react to all these chemicals. Like yes. our body should be able to capably handle them, but we're so lacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. There's um, a principle that, you know, people refer to often, but kind of your stress bucket So if you view, you know, your toxin and stress load in terms of, you know, filling up a bucket, um, everything that you contribute to that bucket is building up your load. So the, the, the more things that we can remove, Mm. the more space we have to adapt and adjust to things like that. So, you know, if you, I actually have a a story kind of, um, about this, or my story is, is very much tied up in, you know, reducing toxin overload. You know, I had a time in my life where I was reacting to, everything. I could not Mm -hmm. go to a store and walk by the candle aisle without having a headache. You know, I couldn't, um, you know, eat dairy or gluten for a long time. And and the more that I reduced that stress, the more that I brought that toxic overload down, you know, I can do a one-off now Mm -hmm. and not suffer consequences for it, you know, for days afterward, it really is bringing down that stress, those toxins, and then your body can adapt when it's given the right tools. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when we look at like the healing of the body and using these foods, do you feel like now that you've gotten yourself to this place, this is just kind of a one-off question, but do you feel like you actually need less from like food? Do you feel like you've gotten to the point where you, this is how I kind of feel like, Mm -hmm. I think there's a time where we need to overfeed and, and heal our body in that way. But now that I feel like I'm on the other side of my own healing journey, I feel like I'm kind of here and I'm like, actually, I just don't need that much now that I'm giving myself quality. Do you feel like you experienced that too? I do. Yeah. I definitely experienced this sort of calorie drop, um, Mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time where I was able to, um, 
kind of consistently have a lower baseline of, of the mm-hmm. caloric intake that I needed on a, on a given day. And for a while it was probably one to 200 calories more than what I'm consuming now. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I think that you can, you know, when you start flooding your system with those nutrients and those vitamins and often just those calories, you know, you can eventually get to a point where maybe you don't need quite as much, but it's so it's so individual because, you know, stress can really rapidly deplete right. nutrients. And so I think, you know, I, on one hand I say, yeah, I've seen some, some downward shifts, but also, you know, I'm a mom of three kids who has a lot of stress. So I'm like, man, I still need all those nutrients. Like I still need, you know, my beef liver and my adrenal cocktails. Like I'm still doing those consistently. So I think it totally depends on what stage of life you're in, but I think theoretically, you know, yeah, you can reach kind of an equilibrium where your body is not like screaming for nutrients quite as much as it was at first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you talked about beef liver and mm-hmm. the adrenal cocktail. Um, there's all kinds of ways you can incorporate this into your life, but what is your adrenal cocktail mixture that you go to? Yeah. So typically my favorite right now is a mixture about a half and half mixture of orange juice, coconut water, and a pinch of sea salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so refreshing. It's so delicious. There, there are a million different ways that you can make it. I also love using, um, kind of like a cream sickle version where you add like a little bit of milk to some orange juice. Um, cream of tartar is a great potassium source. So basically the, the formula of the adrenal cocktail is that you provide sodium, whole food, vitamin C and potassium. So you can combine those in a few different ways. You know, you think citrus fruits can be a great vitamin C source, um, you know, a pinch of quality sea salt for the sodium, And then you can play around with, you know, coconut water is a great potassium source or a cream of tartar. So those are kind of the three elements that have to be included. And you can use, you know, grapefruit juice or, Mm -hmm. you know, mangoes are a great vitamin C source. So there's a few different ways, but I love, I love the traditional OJ coconut water and sea salt is my favorite. Yeah. Are you taking that in the morning? I take it mid morning. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of my go-to mid morning routines that I'll have my Mm -hmm. adrenal cocktail And if I feel super stressed that day, I will add another one into the afternoon in between, you know, maybe lunch and my later afternoon snack. So, Uh um, it's a great pick me up. What's the, can you explain what the function of that is to the body? Like what, how is that mixture really supporting those adrenal glands? Yeah. So the specific, uh, mineral balance is just fantastic. So sodium, Uh, potassium, and then whole food vitamin C is a great uh, source of copper. Um, And so the ratios, it gets a little bit sort of technical, but the ratios of those in your body are super important. Mm -hmm. Um, And that specific mixture does provide a really great balance of, especially that sodium to potassium ratio. Um, And yeah, it just helps replenish, you know, your, your nutrients stress really rapidly depletes things like potassium and sodium. So it's really recommended, especially in times of, of higher stress, because your body is, is working through those minerals a bit faster, but at the core, it's, it's a mineral replenishing. Yeah. Yeah. And those minerals are so important. And again, another thing that I feel like a lot of good, like quality foods are missing anymore is just like, you know, like bodies are just crying out for some of these minerals, which are so important. Mm -hmm. What are some other ways? I mean, obviously you're getting it in the beef liver, Mm -hmm. your adrenal cocktail. Are there other ways that you're adding and incorporating minerals? to your life? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, when I think of the best sources of minerals, I immediately think of, um, fresh fruit, fresh Mm. fruit is an incredible source of, um, potassium in particular. Um, raw dairy is a great source of minerals, obviously, you know, calcium in, Mm. in really great amounts, um, magnesium to an extent, potassium, um, potatoes are a great source of potassium. 
Um, organ meats are fantastic forms of, uh, you know, vitamin B. Um, and then there's some kind of random things like nutritional yeast is really nutrient dense. Um, blackstrap molasses is really nutrient dense brewer's yeast. Some of you are probably like, I've never heard of these foods. Um, but I think at the core, you know, fresh fruit, uh, animal proteins, milk, um, mm -hmm. organ meats, those are really, really nutrient dense and great sources of minerals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and a little bit goes a long ways, you know, with the organ mm -hmm. meat, it's not like you have oh, to sure. slap a piece of liver on your plate. Yes. You <laughs> use a little bit goes a long mm -hmm. ways. Um, and there's all kinds of tips. And I think you've placed some great ones that I'll link up in the show notes on like actually how to incorporate that mm -hmm. without it being like a meal. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have a lot of hidden liver recipes as part of my, yeah. my products and my website. So definitely if you want to hide it somehow, go find those. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, I mean, we're kind of coming to the end of this, but I kind of want to know, like when you look at health and as you've studied it and as you've gone through the whole journey, like so many of us have, like, what are you really hoping kind of, I guess, transitions and like, I think we're in this transition in this health space of like, things are starting to move in a different direction. People are starting to realize, Hey, what we've done isn't working. Mm -hmm. What are you hoping that people see in that transition or like what path you encourage people to kind of shift towards? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think one thing that I've really wanted to be specific about in my own platform, sharing about pro-metabolic eating is, is to couple it with this idea of food freedom. And I mm -hmm. think that you have to put some parameters around that. You know, when I think of food freedom, I don't think of, you know, you just like eat pizza at every meal. To me, that's not right. food freedom. You're not, not giving your body up. <laughs> a service. Right, right. It's not this like surrender to just, oh, I'm just going to eat, you know, junk food all the time. It's the freedom to know that real whole foods are nourishing your body your cravings can usually be trusted. You know, I have a whole um, post series on my Instagram about cravings and what they could possibly be telling you. And I think that's so important because a lot of us have just been told for all of our lives that, you know, cravings are something to be suppressed and ignored and they're bad. And, you know, how right. to, there's all these articles about, you know, how to get rid of your, this craving or your, that craving. And it's like, no, your body is trying to communicate something. Um, and if we actually listen to it and honor it with real whole foods, we will be meeting a need. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, combining that sense of freedom with just realizing that um, there's just too many black and white rules set around food right now. And I think that we have to come to a place where, yes, we understand the biology behind what our body needs. You know, yes, we understand the nutrients and minerals that our body needs. Mm -hmm. um, but we also understand that our bodies are intuitive and that they will often tell us what they need when we give them the attention and care that they, you know, really deserve. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, this journey has been a lot about stepping into freedom, stepping out of diet culture, stepping out of, you know, black and white rules around food and just realizing that um, food is just one part of the picture, you know, right. our, our emotions, our, um, overall, uh, you know, joy that we're finding in life, our, our sleep, our time with community. I mean, all of those things play so deeply into our health. Um, and so I think we can, we can enjoy food. We can honor our bodies with nutrient density. And then, you know, we just, we just kind of surrender to, um, doing the best that we can and, you know, honoring our bodies in the, in the best way that we know how. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love how you said there's so much more than food and really food health is just a means to live our life, not be strapped mm -hmm. to it. Like this is Absolutely. not the purpose of life. Yeah. And opening up to that. So 
I guess the last question I want to ask you is like, Mm -hmm. as someone who, um, you know, maybe listening to this and thinking, wow, this is so different. Like what are a few steps that you would encourage someone on if they want to try out this pro metabolic eating, um, or, you know, dive into, okay, really, I mean, not even calling it a diet, but like really just nutrifying their body. What are the first few things that you would encourage them to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think a great step one is to get the chronometer app. Um, it's a food tracking app, which I know can sound a little bit overwhelming. I'm not by any means saying that, you know, we need to track for forever, but Mm -hmm. I think getting a baseline with something like the chronometer app to see, okay, how many calories am I eating in a day? How are my nutrients lining up? And that's, that's why I really prefer that app to something like my fitness pal, because it will show you your nutrient Mm -hmm. breakdown. So I think a great step one, especially for women is just track maybe three days of a standard um, day in the life for you and just see where you fall. Are you eating enough calories? I, I think women shouldn't fall under about 1800 calories or mm-hmm. are you meeting that? Are you hitting your you know nutrient goals? Um, I think that's a fantastic step one. I think a great additional step is just cook at home, you know, yeah. buy food, um, either locally from your store, wherever, you know, you prefer and make your meals at home. I think that's a fantastic way to avoid a lot of those processed foods and additives, Um, and then I think a a great third tip is just to start eating carbs and protein together, um, because of the crazy dietary advice right now, you know, there's so many camps around, you know, not eating carbs or, you know, Mm -hmm. eating this, this to this ratio. And I think it's really important to combine the carbs and the protein because that's how our blood sugar stays balanced. So, you know, carbohydrates Mm -hmm. in isolation, yeah, can raise our, our blood sugar, but protein in isolation can lower our blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So when we put those two together, you know, our body really does very well. So I think that's a great first step. You know, if you're used to just eating maybe a big bowl of oatmeal in the morning by itself, um, maybe add a couple eggs on the side instead mm-hmm. of just eating straight oatmeal, or, you know, you're eating, um, a big bowl of rice with veggies at night, you know, add in some ground beef or some chicken or, or some protein that will be supportive. And I think those are really just attainable things that everyone can start with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Such easy tips, practical, and you really do feel a difference. Like you will oh, absolutely. experience the change. Um, it's not just a shot in the dark that you have to wait um, thirty days or sixty uh-huh. days to experience. Like your body should be telling you if this is good or. Mm-hmm. And you have a ton of great meal plans um, and other information on your Instagram page, on your web page. Can you just share where we can learn more about you and, and getting the help to get started on, on a program like this? Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram handle is Fallon Danae, and I really try to dive into sharing, you know, recipes, um, the uh, kind of the science behind nutrition, you know, what has certain minerals, what is absorbed mm-hmm. the best. Um, I talk a lot about body image and food freedom. Um, and you know, just kind of recommending lifestyle things. It's just a very, um, kind of silly fun place where I like to, you know, show my personality a bit. And I love to, I love to connect with people there. Um, and then my website is balancetable.com and that's where I have my meal plan. So those are all, um, calorie specific. And I have a quiz on my site that can help you determine what calorie range might be best for you. Um, I have a dairy-free or a dairy reintroduction meal plan if that's, you know, where somebody mm-hmm. is at. And then I just launched um, my first cookbook in December. So I have a, a digital cookbook on my site that has make-ahead bulk style recipes um, so that you can, you know, spend less time in the kitchen and more time, you know, doing other things that you love. Um, and then my my good friend, Corey Malloy, and I have the Freely Rooted podcast um, where we share a lot of really just practical tips to get started with this lifestyle. So those are 
um, the places you can find me. And I'd love for you to come, come do that. Yeah. And I'll make sure and link all that up in the show notes, but thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. It's been, it's been amazing. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. She has an amazing story, right? Of a journey so many people of us walk through of restricting foods, becoming more sensitive to foods, our body being overwhelmed, thinking that we're doing everything right and realize our body is not thriving or even responding in the way that we hope for. Again, I learned so much from Fallon's story. I love this approach. And while I think that food is very specific and personalized to each person, I think that there's a lot to gain from here. So I'm going to give you more of a broad lifestyle approach to metabolic eating over at The Living Well that goes along with what Fallon talked about. And also encourage you to check out her post, her meal plans. If you just need ideas about what to eat and and what this looks like in your life, you can head to fallonstable.com. And to learn more about the show, get all the show notes, head to thelivingwell.com. Again, this is number seven in the eight-part series on eight life-changing health tips you need to know that are working to support your body. For all the other tips, just go back in the podcast series and check out last week's episode on sleep and chronotypes and your body type and the episode before that on sexual wellness. There's one on healthifying the nervous system, meditation, and so much more. We have one more episode next week that's launching. It's a solo show from me to you that I think will really help pull all of this together in one big powerful life hack that I think is really important. And then coming up, we have the Health Reset series that is completely different than this one. It's gonna be more of a daily, very short daily podcast for the month of April. And then this summer, we're coming in with a bang with the podcast series called The Sex Talk. Yes, if you love the sexual wellness podcast, that is just the tip of the iceberg on what you're going to learn about sexual wellness for male and female and the design of that. And really all of these sexual health practices that you didn't learn, but are really important to know in the scope of life. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, don't forget to leave a rating and review, share this with your friends and family and contact me if you're loving the show or if you have questions or thoughts to expand it and to become better. You can always email me at alexa at thelivingwell.com. I'd love to hear from you and respond to every single email. So head on over there, drop an email, and I will see you back here next week for one more podcast in the series.